This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools, one of them who currently owns Eric Carlson in his keeper pool and is loving it. That's me. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Great intro. One of your best. It's gotten me so pumped and ready for another amazing episode of our own podcast that we compliment frequently, but full of all the latest stuff that you want to know about what's been happening in the NHL this week. So much stuff. Yeah, I think we might break the record this week for the most players discussed on a single episode. I have a really long document here with a bunch of players. So Brian, we've got to get right to it. But before we do that, Let's mention another place where you can find a whole ton of players talked about is at DauberHockey.com, which is the presenter of our podcast. And we're very proud to be able to say that because they have all the information that you need to be successful in your fantasy hockey league articles every day. I use the goalie post for starting goalie notifications. I use the line combinations to prepare the show and to check like mid game. I like to know who's playing with who. It's very useful. All the tools are there in frozen pools. Check it out. DauberHockey.com. It's great. Brian, I am ready to go. We're going to start with our first fantasy hockey headline of the week, which is every goalie is injured. So many goalie injuries this week. And that is a big part of fantasy hockey because usually all the other positions, there's some valuable options in free agency. But with goalies, usually all the starting goalies are gone in your draft. If your league is even only like a mid-shallow, deep league, most of the starting goalies are gone. Here, whenever there's a starting goalie injured, that means everyone jumps into free agency to get the replacement. And we're going to talk about which guys we think are worth grabbing, which guys we think you should just leave for the others. And let's start in Boston. Tuka Rask has a concussion. Anders Bjork crashed into him at practice, which sucks. And I'm sure his teammates are not happy with him, but whatever. He actually played well afterwards. But yeah, Tuka Rask is injured. Not nice to say. I feel bad for saying this, but it might not be the worst news for Tuka Rask owners to have him go down with this injury as they'll be able to stash him for a bit instead of having to roster an 882 save percentage goalie, which is what Tuka Rask has been for his first four games. Like, he's been so bad. Should people be trying to buy low on Rask right now? Sometimes when a player gets injured, we like to advise, oh, now's your time to get him. The owner might be scrambling. You could get him for a low price. And plus, he's been really bad. It seems like a buy low opportunity, but at the same time, I just, I just don't know if, if he's worth it. He was actually just dropped in my shallow eight-team league where I already have Anderson, Gibson, and Hellebuck. 
to be honest, I don't really want to drop anyone to add the day-to-day -day Rask. Maybe that's dumb. I kind of feel like maybe if he goes into IR, then I'll grab him and stash him. But right now, I'm just not that interested. And you have reason to not be interested. He's had a horrendous start to his season, and this is not necessarily a new happenstance in his numbers. We've seen Rask struggle for the most part for the last few years. We warned you going into last year that the elite upside is all but gone. Maybe it can come for a game or two at a time. Maybe he can steal a week for you every now and then, but he's going to blow up your numbers just as often. So maybe he can go and get right now. And the injury actually led to our best Facebook group comment of the week, which I believe, oh my gosh, I'm not going to credit the right person. I'm going to go with Brett, someone with a B. Anyway, it was Bjork, more like Bjerk. It's hard to say, and it was a lot easier to read. Anyway, let's talk about Anton Kudobin. Is now a good time to talk about Kudobin? I guess we have to, right? He's the next in line to get starts in Boston. He's played in the last two games and has been not so great. And that is not surprising to me. He blew a 4-1 lead yesterday in the 5-4 loss to Buffalo. 37 saves on 42 shots on goal. He was in the Nets for a 6-3 win versus Vancouver on Thursday. He made 26 saves. So both of those games, he had low save percentage. Just got to win for what it's worth. Is there like any reason to believe that Kudovan can be a decent option in net for anything aside for saves and maybe an occasional win? Like, can the Bruin even win many games with Kudovan in net? My thought on Kudovan is he's not a very good goalie and he's going to blow up your stats most of the time when you start him in fantasy Again, even if you do decide, I don't care, I'm going to add Kudobin, I need the starts, is there any concern that Zane McIntyre could steal starts from him if Rask is out for a long time? Yeah, there's a lot of trouble brewing in Boston's crease these days with Kudobin being right now the last line of defense. He faced a lot of rubber the other night, but it's still no excuse to give up as many goals as he did. Just to go by his recent record, he's been the goaltender of record 23 times in the last two years, plus a few more times this year so far. And in those times where he's been the goaltender of record, Anton Kudobin has posted a quality start in nine of those 23 times for a quality start percentage of less than 40%. Those are about your odds of him helping your team if you start him or him helping the Bruins if they decide to start him. As for Zane McIntyre, I don't think he's much of a challenge. He's been around long enough in Boston that they must know what they have with him. And they still have never really wanted to promote him to the backup job. He's only seen five games of action so far this year between ECHL Atlanta and AHL Providence. I suppose he could take starts because Kudobin is not uh, an unbeatable opponent in that crease. But I imagine the Bruins think their best hopes for winnable goalie performance are going to come from Kudobin, as unfortunate for them as that might be. Yeah, could be a rough road ahead for the Bruins. Not like Tuka Rask was making it that much easier for them. Anyway, they only play Thursday and Saturday of next week, for what it's worth. So that might be another reason to not rush for Kudobin. Maybe there'll be some news that Rask is better by then. We'll have to wait and see. Anyways, that's not the only injury, outjury news in Boston. Spooner and Krejci also are injured. Spooner for a while. Krejci could even be back by Thursday. Adam McQuaid is out as well for eight weeks. But on the positive side... Some light at the end of the tunnel. Patrice Bergeron is back, as is David Backus. And that's great, especially getting Bergeron back. That's huge for the Bruins. He had a goal and three assists in his return versus Vancouver. Six shots on goal. No points and three shots on goal yesterday in the game versus Buffalo. 
Bacchus, he's doing a whole lot of nothing on a line with Riley Nash and Kenny Agostino, who, by the way, has been on the top power play for the Bruins. Don't expect that to last, though, because because Krejci's probably going to come back soon. Anyway, back to Bacchus. Sorry, 10 hits in two games, though, so that could be valuable, and maybe he'll be able to sprinkle a point in here or there, though that's going to be hard in the bottom six and not on the top power play. But there you go. Let's talk about some guys that you might be interested in. Anders Bjork is in a really sweet spot, or he was in the game yesterday, playing with Bergeron and Marshawn. You can't get much better line mates than playing with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marshawn on line one for the Bruins. Bjork had an assist yesterday to go along with his two goals and one assist versus Vancouver on Thursday, so he's hot right now. He's only on power play two, though, but definitely an interesting streaming option if he's available, though. Like I said, they only play Thursday and Saturday next week, so you might not want to rush to him right now. I also mentioned Kenny Agostino, who was called up for the last couple of games, and he's been on power play one. Krejci may be back by Thursday, which could mean Agostino goes back to the minors, so I wouldn't be jumping on him. And Brian, do you want to talk about these guys? Then I want to talk about the defense on Boston. We're just doing a full Boston Brewers rundown right now. I'll just echo what you said. Great thing for Bergeron to be back. Great thing for my fantasy team. I've had him on IR in one of my leagues. It's points only. It's been killing me. I'm glad he made up for lost time. Uh, Bjork in a great position. Bacchus, if he hits, that's the only reason you want him on your roster. And Agostino probably is done once Krejci comes back. This is his fourth cup of coffee in the NHL in the last four years with three different clubs. And he's actually above a point-per-game player in the AHL. So it's nice that a scorer is getting a shot in a scoring role, even with a promotion to a team that's a level ahead of him. But he's not uh, grabbing my attention at the moment. I'll just wait for Krejci to come back. Right, yeah, okay. And then on defense, top power play demon Tori Krug is ice cold. Is this deja vu from last year, Brian? I remember he also sucked at the beginning of last year. He only got his second assist of the season yesterday in his sixth game. And more concerning to me is that it was his second straight game without a shot on goal. And he only has eight shots in six games on the season overall. This is a defenseman who you draft, giving him a bump, even if you don't think he's going to get as many points as another defenseman. You think Tori Krug, he's going to be good to give you like 200 shots. It's not happening this year. What is going on with him? Yes, even strength shot and shot attempt rates for Tori Krug, they're definitely down this year at both even strength and on the power play, though he and partner Adam McQuaid are still the top Boston defensemen in shot attempts per 60 minutes. However, there is a big however, the more concerning and perhaps telling number in Tori Krug's year to date is about all the pucks going in the other direction while he's on the ice. He and McQuaid have allowed an onslaught of shot attempts against while they're on the ice, like 30% more than the next worst defensive pair of Carlo and Chara, who are actually holding things pretty steady. And this is not very much like Tory Krug. He's usually three or four percentage points ahead of the rest of his team in his shot attempts for a percentage. I think Bergeron having been away hurt a fair bit and having him back now could be a reason to hope that Krug gets his business in order. This is also the first season start that newish coach Bruce Cassidy has been a part of. So maybe there's some kinks that Krug is being asked to work out and that's affecting his game somehow. Anyway, my short answer for now is that Krug isn't taking as many shots because he's apparently been a lot busier than usual in watching the other team taking shots against him while he's on the ice, seeing fewer opportunities to do it himself. Something to monitor for sure. I asked, uh, I reached out to a crazy knucklehead on Twitter, Chris is his name. He he follows the Bruins. We, we've known him for a little while now. And he mentioned, you know, Krug is coming back from a jaw injury. So maybe there's still something up with that. Maybe there's rest. I'm not sure what the deal is, but we're going to watch. We're going to see if he can even out that shot attempts for a situation. And if his own shots can rebound from that point, like you said, Elon, he started out last year pretty cold. 
this is not a normal thing for him to go shotless so often. So we'll cross our fingers and hope that everything steadies out. I wouldn't panic, but you can definitely be thinking about panicking. Yeah, I think from now until the next couple of weeks, you can't rush to drop someone like Tori Krug, who has so much offensive upside and the upside for shots. But if we're not seeing any shots from him and it's like two weeks later, then we're going to have to talk about if maybe he's someone that we need to be downgrading. Because in contrast, we've got rookie Charlie McAvoy, who had two assists yesterday, extending his point streak to four games. He's up to seven points in seven games on the season. He also played 25 minutes yesterday. And Return of Tag on Twitter, at Return of Tag, informed us that this could be more regular for McAvoy because McQuaid is out. Krug, by the way, only played 21 minutes and 51 seconds. So it's McAvoy being the top used defenseman on the Bruins, not the top on the power play, but he's the one getting the points. Is it time for us to fully buy in on McAvoy, even in a one-year league? Like, is the production he's putting up sustainable at this point? Like, I'm not saying point per game, but can we expect McAvoy to be a consistent producer for the rest of the year? It's really tempting, but note that five of his seven assists this year have been secondary assists. So I... This is crazy. This is like completely in the other direction from what you asked. So it sounds crazy. I'm going to be looking to sell high, to be honest with you. If you want to hold, though, and hope that Krug's struggles plus McAvoy's good fortune will lead to McAvoy getting a crack at some of that sweet top unit power play time, then by all means, we should note last game, once Adam McQuaid got injured, it was McAvoy who got to move up to the second pair with Chara, while Brandon Carlo moved to the first pair with Tori Krug. All right, enough Bruins talk. Let's talk about another goalie who is out, another starting goalie. Though on the other side of Rask, this one's been pretty good. Corey Schneider, though, he's out with a lower body injury. He was put on the IR by the Devils. It's worth noting that New Jersey only plays on Friday and Saturday of next week. So it's possible that Schneider could come back by then and only have missed the one game from this week. Uh, Schneider has started the season off strong, or at least he did start the season off strong with three straight wins, all with save percentages of like 920, 940, 976, like three really good games. But his next three games were all sub 900 save percentage games, and he's now at a kind of sad 907 save percentage on the year. Assuming Schneider comes back healthy, which I think he will from everything I've seen, what should his owners expect from him moving forward? You believed in him all of last year, even when he was struggling, and then he started this year strong, and I thought, look at that, Brian called it again, but now he's been struggling a little bit. Of course, we're only six games into the year. What's your take on Corey Schneider at this point? My take on Schneider is that I'm happy to have seen him string three games together of good numbers, which by my count, he only managed to do on two separate occasions last season, and one of those occasions was games three, four, and five. So I hope that's not an omen that he did it last year and then we saw how the rest of the year went. Uh, I've liked New Jersey as a dark horse. Schneider's upside is a big reason why I feel that way, but I'd still be wary of expecting more than average save percentage from him. He did begin his Devils career with two seasons in the mid-920s, which are already forgotten for the most part. He had a 925 and a 924 in back-to-back years, but something definitely looked off last year. And we heard Nick Mercadante say on the Hockeypedia cast a little while back that Schneider may not be able to reach those heights again after having to change his game up a bit after he was getting over an injury and it's changed the way he's played a little bit. You also have to remember that the Devils' defense core is barely serviceable. Their bottom 10 team in score-adjusted shot attempts 4 percentage. And if you asked me at the start of the season that would be the case, I'd say no, they'd be a bottom 5 team. So I guess they're doing okay so far. If you're looking at Schneider for your fantasy team, I'd have him as a good number two option, an even better number three option, but probably not the guy you want to be your number one. 
Okay, and then with Schneider out, again, just like in Boston, we have to look at the backup. Keith Kincaid has now played two games, plus a period, and he's doing well. So it's a complete opposite story for the Devils. Kincaid has a 932 save percentage now on the season. Who are you liking between Kincaid and Kudobin for as long as their respective starters are out? And again, I'll repeat, Schneider might not even be out, but if they're both out, who would you grab? I will stick with Anton Kudobin above Keith Kincaid, not because I have any more faith in Kudobin, but because I think he'll have a better shot at getting the win when he does manage to turn in a decent performance compared to Kincaid. And Brian, since we're on the Devils, let's check in on a couple of rookies. Will Butcher is now pointless in two straight games. He did have five shots on goal versus San Jose in the last game. And that was actually pretty surprising since he's only had zero, one or two shots in all the other games. Not much has changed with Butcher's deployment, low even strength ice time, but lots of power play time. So we'll have to keep watching. Obviously, two pointless games is no reason to freak out. But we already said that we weren't going to expect Will Butcher to keep doing what he was doing at the start of the year. So let's see how long this pointless streak goes. Hopefully he'll break it next week on Friday. Tough guy though to hold all the way from now until Friday. When if he's like your bottom defenseman and you could get maybe two or three games from someone else in a streaming spot. I don't know. I'll leave that decision up to you, the listener. Another rookie, Nico Hishir, had a three-game point streak ended in the 3 nothing loss to San Jose on Friday. Overall, though, he's having a great start to the year. He has seven points in eight games. His ice time has been increasing each game and his power play time is solid. Hishir played with Hall and Stafford last game. Going into the year, I feel like most people were seeing Hishir as like a approximately like 40 point guy maybe 45 should we be bumping him up to a likely 50 plus guy at this point he shoes due for some regression in his on ice shooting percentage but deployment and talent seen so far on the ice that makes me think he does have a legit shot at still getting to 50 okay and then one last piece of devil's news i saw that paul mary was injured in practice today and like i said they don't play till friday so maybe he won't miss any time but if he's out Maybe take another look at Jesper Brat, who we said you could drop last week. But he, before when Palmieri missed a game, Brat went into his spot in the lineup and did really well. So maybe that could happen again. So watch him for like a last minute ad if Palmieri still is out come Friday. I was chirped by my opponent in the Cupful this week, Ricard, who is also Swedish. And he did not appreciate the way that I was pronouncing his name, Brat. I just think Brat sounds so crass. But that's what he encouraged us to do. Anyway, all that to say, I'm a pretty solid meh on Jesper Bratt. I'm not going to rush out and get him. I wasn't sold on him the first time around. No more sold on him until further notice. Ah, Brian, why didn't you tell me? Like, I was calling him Jesper Bratt, and then you were using this pretentious way of calling him Jesper Bratt, and I wanted to follow along and sound smart like you, and now I sound like an idiot. All right. I guess I just kind of thought that Bratt was the worst. Okay, that's that's pretty good, actually. Okay, uh, Florida, Luongo is on the IR after suffering a hand injury in Friday's game versus Pittsburgh. Could be a Rask situation as he only has a 905 save percentage overall and one win in four games. And by that, I mean you're not so disappointed to have him injured if he's on your team. Could be <laughs> handy to just be able to stash him in a league. All these, all these guys who you're just not disappointed at all to have them injured. You're right. You've got a point. When there's someone underperforming on your team and they go down, it's like, ugh. Maybe they'll be better when they when they get back. I don't have to drop them now, and I can still add somebody who's definitely doing better from free agency. 
Well, Brian, I got to tell you, when I saw that Kyle Palmieri got injured in practice today and the Devils don't play until next Friday, I have Palmieri on my Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantrax League team, and I was very happy about that. I hope he won't be out long, of course. I hope he'll be back on Friday. But in the meantime, I could stash him in IR, and I could pick up a couple people to play for me during the week. So sometimes an injury isn't the worst thing. But anyways, it's definitely not the worst thing for James Reimer owners and maybe James Reimer himself because it's a great opportunity for him with Roberto Luongo injured. Reimer could take over just like he did at the end of last year, and he did really well. He's already started off great. He had a huge 41 save, 4-1 win in Washington yesterday, which brought him up to a 915 save percentage after two sub-900 starts to start the year. Florida has a pretty nice schedule next week. They're playing Montreal, who we're going to get to later. I don't think they're very good. They're playing Anaheim, who is riddled with injuries, so maybe Getzoff will be back. Anyways, and then Detroit. So Montreal, Anaheim, Detroit, not the hardest schedule. No back-to-backs in the week, so Reimer could possibly play all three of those games. I feel like he's a pretty solid bet for at least average goaltending with upside for more. Like, what do you think? Should people be rushing to grab James Reimer at this point, like ahead of Kudobin for sure? Yeah, for sure. Reimer is a guy who's generally reliable to post league average numbers, but can also turn in some pretty sterling performances on the way. Keep in mind that last year for Reimer had its ups and downs. He did beat the league average save percentage by posting a 920, but he also sported a sub 50% quality start percentage while doing it, which illustrates, you know, some really good play and some really awful play too. But he will be the guy consistently in Florida's net for as long as Luongo is out which should be nice. He's a better goalie than Kudobin. And I wouldn't say that the talent level between Boston and Florida is big enough to tilt it back towards Kudobin's favor. Yeah, that's fair. I would definitely want Reimer as well. He shouldn't be a free agent at this point with Luongo injured, I think. So, Brian, I've been keeping a long list of cold streaks throughout the week. We've gotten so many questions on Twitter and Facebook of these, like, you know, star players, people drafted high that are disappointing them. And so throughout this episode, I'm going to sprinkle some of them. Then we'll do a section about them at the end. But I'm going to start in Florida because we were starting to get some questions about Alex Barkov, who only had three assists in his first five games, which isn't even so bad. But... Uh, people were starting to ask, "Uh uh-oh, what's wrong with Barkov? Well, guess what? He has two goals and an assist in his last two games to go along with eight shots on goal in those games, and Barkov was never really known to be a big shooter, so things are looking good now. After that, I guess, somewhat slow start, Barkov's getting huge ice time and even strengthened on the power play. The like Barkov owners who doubted him, I feel like you should kind of feel ashamed of yourselves for being worried. He's Alex Barkov. He's always been good. The only fear with him is that he might get injured, but aside from that, he's going to be fine. I would, I would need to see like a month of him struggling before I'd be worried about him. You should be ashamed of yourselves, says the guy who already had him down as a potential cold streak to talk about and has gotten down on better players or similar players with a smaller sample. <laughs> Brian, when I, I... Let me tell you how I prepare for this show. This show Glass is not, houses. <laughs> when I bring up a player in my cold streak section, it doesn't always mean that I think that this player stinks. It just means that people are worried about him and we need to reassure them or tell them they're correct. I wrote him down because we got a question about him. I love getting questions from our listeners from, you know, Twitter at Keeping Carlson tweeted us. If you have a question, your question could get on the show. Just like this one about Alex Barkov, even though we didn't even really ask a question. I just shamed you. But okay. Another (laughs) player on Florida who was having doubters was Dadanov, who he had two straight scoreless games. (gasps) Right? Like, it's nothing. He had two straight scoreless games after starting the year strong. And then people were like, oh, what's wrong with Dadanov? We should get rid of him. Anyway, he had a power play goal and a power play assist yesterday. Four shots, 20 minutes plus of ice time. He's still on the top line and top power play. There's been some murmurings. Maybe every once in a while he'll switch to line two, but he'll still be on the top power play. 
I'd again, maybe not a month, but I need to see at least two weeks of nothing or a drop in him, like in terms of his deployment, like jumping out of the top six or being off the top power play before I'd consider changing my mind about Dadanov. I still really like him. He's like my breakout guy for this year. Hashtag team Dadanov. He's now up to seven points in seven games. I think he's really good. And anyone who got him late in their drafts should be very happy with themselves. As a Dadanov owner in at least three leagues, possibly another, I was really, really down on him. He had some games with huge power play time on ice, and he didn't even get a shot on goal. He had just three shots over the three games prior to the one where he just got two points. Uh, he had been scoreless in three of four games. There was a lot of a lot of ways to slice disappointment for Dadanov. So it's nice to see him break through last night, and I hope he can do that more regularly than he has so far. I need more regularity from a guy who's still proving himself. I guess so. Proving himself to you. I think he's great. He did well in the KHL. Anyways, no time, Brian. Let's go to Vegas. Oh my God. This is not good. Like, okay. On the, on the plus side for Vegas, they're six and one, which is crazy to me. Like they're one of the top teams in the league, but now not only is Fleury injured, but now Malcolm Subban got injured yesterday. He stopped 37 out of 38 shots in 15 minutes versus St. Louis. He was having a great game. Things were looking really good for him, but now it looks like I saw on Twitter a uh, tweet saying that he's likely out for weeks in quote. So that could be a while. Fleury's already out for a while. I guess Oscar Dansk is next in line. He's the one who came in after Subban got injured. He led in a goal, but got the OT win yesterday versus St. Louis. Um, on one hand, I would think, well, we're talking about Vegas, an expansion team, and we're talking about someone named Oscar Dansk, Dansk, who I had never heard of before today. So I kind of feel like you shouldn't add him. But then at the same time, Vegas is like one of the top teams in the league. Like I said, so why wouldn't you want the goalie, the backup goalie that's now the starter, or the double backup goalie who's now the starter on this team? Do people need to be jumping on Oscar Dansk? No. Well, okay. Maybe? It depends. Did you jump on Malcolm Subban? If you did, then you might want to jump on Oscar Dansk or Donsk, whatever. If you did not jump on Malcolm Subban, then probably not. The, um, the only other option in Vegas right now is Maxime Lagasse, who, whose name we're, we're butchering for two weeks in a row, who sports an 870 save percentage in three AHL games so far this year. And you're like, well, Dan has to, has to be the automatic candidate. He was actually worse in his one AHL game so far. He posted an 833 and a goals against over five. I have no idea who between them is more capable of getting the games. And I'm willing to venture that Vegas also has no idea, but I will give the slight edge to Oscar, I guess, based on him having succeeded back in that 2014 world junior championship when he started for the Swedish team that won silver. And he also has a small draft pedigree that Lagasse doesn't. He was picked 31st overall by Columbus back in 2012. And the, the, the big answer at the end for me is Vegas has to be looking elsewhere, right? I wonder if Steve Mason's available. Um, I, d- I don't think Vegas would take on that Steve Mason contract the way he's been playing. Was it like $4 million a year for the next two two or three years? I don't think so, Brian. But I don't, does Vegas really care? I don't think they came into the year expecting to be like a playoff comp- competing team. So maybe they don't mind. They'll get to see how Oscar Dunsk, I'm seeing in the chat room here that I should be calling him Dunsk. I'm sorry. Maybe he'll prove himself so well this week that we'll know how to pronounce his name by next week. But yeah, like maybe they just want to see how their goalies do and what's the big deal? Maybe his play this week will make adding him next week a slam dunk. Great, great. Okay, you're you're on fire today, Brian. <laughs> uh, 
I guess let's talk about Vadim Shipashov. We talked about him last week and probably the week before, but he scored in his first game back, but has done nothing in the two games since. He's only been playing 10 to 11 minutes a game, which is surprising to me, considering a lot of people thought he'd be their main guy coming into the year, coming in after being really successful in the KHL. I feel like at this point, it's probably safe to call Shipashov a snoozer and drop him until his role increases. Like if someone's holding on to Shipashov, it's for potential, not because he's shown anything. And it's like, it's not even like a guarantee that he was going to be really good. So I feel like you could probably drop him until at least you see his ice time go up. Sure. In leagues that aren't all that deep, you can let him go. But definitely keep him on your watch list. He is still going to lead Vegas in scoring by the end of the year. Mark my words. Just a matter of getting him at the right time. By the way, a- another time where I may have had the right pronunciation uh, in the first place. Dave is saying in the chat that he totally made up the Dunksk <laughs> pronunciation. Maybe it is Danks. We'll, we'll find out for next week. Okay. Uh, one more player on Vegas. I'll bring up Riley Smith. He had a goal and two assists yesterday. He had a goal and an assist versus Buffalo on Tuesday. So he has seven points in his last five games. He played almost 22 minutes yesterday on the line with Oscar Lindbergh and William Carlson. And by the way, William Carlson, a namesake of our podcast, four points in his last three games. David Perron has five points in his last seven games. Alex Tuck, who got called up with Shipashov, he had three points in his first two games, nothing yesterday, and only eight minutes and 49 seconds of ice time. So that makes me a little less interested in Alex Tuck. But like, there's a lot of potential interesting streaming players on this Vegas team who are producing. Brian, assuming you think James Neal is the number one guy on Vegas to own right now, which I think you probably do, uh, who's number two? Vadim Shipashov. I I guess I, I showed my cards a little early. In the meantime, while we're waiting for Shipashov's ice time to go up, my answer is the, the Vegas player you want most after James Neal is whoever scored for them in their most recent game. Honestly, there's not anyone on that roster who's really looking like they're going to be worth something for very long. So yeah, in the long view, I'll, I'll still take Shipashov. In the short term, again, whoever just scored, Elon, what do you think? Who's your number two? Maybe Riley Smith right now because he's on a hot streak like you said it's tough I, that's why i was asking you I, I really don't know these lines like none of these lines jump out as being like so amazing like i would think i guess james neal is doing really well so i would think maybe you just want whoever's playing with him in the last game that was cody eakin and david perron so maybe david perron who i mentioned being hot maybe him him or smith or just go for someone on another team because who knows how to predict these guys but at some point we have to start taking them seriously if they keep winning and scoring all of these goals but this will not be that week uh brian I still have more. Okay, one more goalie injury, and then we'll move on to some other injuries. Uh, Anti Ranta, he's still injured. He was injured last week, but he could be back by next week. But man, Arizona's 0-7-1 at this point. So is Anti Ranta even that valuable? We thought going into the year that he was a good goalie coming from the Rangers and, you know, to a team that we thought would be much improved with, like, improved defense. And they also got a new scorer in Derek Stepan and, and Clayton Keller was coming up. And Clayton Keller has been really good, by the way. He's up to eight points in eight games and has 30 shots, so he's been awesome. But, like, how good is owning Anti-Ranta right now? Should people be giving up on him just because Arizona's so bad? Or at this point, he's coming back from injury, maybe buy low now because he could still do something and help turn this ship around. I still believe that Ranta and the Coyotes are going to be okay. One nugget about Arizona's struggles early this year. They lead the league with five penalties taken while already on the power play. Pittsburgh has also taken five while on the power play. So take that with a grain of salt. It doesn't necessarily indicate a good team or bad team. Just one of those fun little trivial facts. I do still think the Coyotes can figure it out, though. I'll say again that this is a team where three of their most frequently playing defensemen were on other teams last season, and a fourth wasn't irregular in Arizona's own lineup. That makes two-thirds of their defense core 
essentially new. They also have a new goalie, a new coach, and new and inexperienced forwards peppering their depth chart. They deserve some rope to try and get it right. I know it's been a terrible eight games. You wonder if Ranta could have helped them win one by now had he stayed healthy and played in one of the last three. I think once he comes back, it's going to be a big boost. They'll figure things out. They'll be okay. I'm actually trying to figure out, Elon, where I've got Arizona and Buffalo. It's two teams with goalies that we were getting excited about. It's having upside on teams with high upside, but are both really struggling out of the gate. Yeah, I feel like Arizona looks like they have better defensemen than Buffalo. So I think I'd want Ranta above Robin Leonard right now. Uh, we'll have to see. But I agree with you. I think now's the maybe a good time to grab Ranta off of free agency if he was dropped. And maybe he'll be able to go on a nice run once he's healthy. And like I said, Clayton Keller's been so good. I feel like at this point, if he's still a free agent in your league, that's crazy. Like Even in a one-year league, I feel like he's a must-own. All these shots on goal is not something I expected. 30 shots in eight games. That puts him like in the top 20 or something. Like, he's really high. So I think he's he could hit 60 points this year. I love how many shots on goal he's taking, too. He ranks 25th in the league in shot attempts per 60 minutes. 60 points may still be jumping the gun. Not to say he can't do it, but I'm more comfortable having him past 50, but closer to 50 than 60. All right, Brian, I'd be probably willing to bet you on that. I think he's going to hit 60, or at least be closer to 60 than 50. So I guess we're talking plus or minus 55 uh, let us know. Tweet at us at Kevin Carlson. What do you think? Is it are you team Elon or team Brian for if you think Clayton Keller will be above or below 55 points? Brian, if you like talking about how many points a player is going to get, which of course you do, and you like thinking about it, you're listening to this podcast, you play fantasy hockey, you could do that every night playing with our sponsor, FanDuel. It's a daily fantasy hockey site, and it's a lot of fun. Contest starting at just $1. You get to basically draft a whole new team every night. You pick which players you like. You could look at who they're playing. You could do this fun strategy where you take a bunch of players from a team where you think they're playing a really bad team. I actually did this. We have our Keeping Carlson FanDuel League, which we run every week. We'll tell you about it in a second. And I made an entry last week where I grabbed Jack Eichel, Evander Kane, and Jason Pominville against Vegas, and they all like killed it for me i ended up coming fourth brian i was so close but i couldn't beat get fighted who i don't know who that is tweeted us get fighted and let us know who you are so we could give you credit great job to you i was like six points behind i made so many dumb choices if only i would have not played evgeny dadanov in that one game where he was bad he had zero points or i, I played steve mason in net because i just wanted a really cheap goalie that was dumb he sucks i'm never gonna do that again but i get another chance i don't have to be stuck with steve mason on my team for the rest of the season when i play fan duel because you get a new roster every day so if you want to join us, uh, the listeners of Keeping Carlson in our weekly FanDuel League, check out FanDuel.com slash Carl, K-A-R-L, and you could join our league. And also when you sign up with FanDuel, you get an even bigger bonus. You do. New users are going to get free entry into their NHL breakaway. That means there's thousands of dollars in cash prizes guaranteed to pay out when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with the promo code Carl with a K. That's FanDuel.com, promo code Carl, void, where, prohibited. Very important to say that, right? We need some legalese in our podcast. Like, our advice is void, where, prohibited. That makes <laughs> totally. sense. <laughs> we cannot be held responsible for, yeah. Uh, no, cut that out. Can you imagine uh, if someone's, I'm not going to cut it out. Could you imagine if someone, <laughs> if someone sued us because we gave them bad fantasy advice, like on Twitter and cost them like $1,000 in their league? Well, now we can just tell them that our advice was prohibited where they were, and so it was void, and they shouldn't have followed us. There you go. But everyone else, I hope you like our advice. My advice should have been prohibited in last week's listener competition. I went heavy on the senators who got shut out. 
the only accurate thing I can say about my standing is that I did not finish last. Congratulations. Very good. Well, Brian, maybe you could compete with me. Probably not. But everyone else, come join us. We'll have a lot of fun. The contest is going to be for Tuesday night's games. So it starts at around like Monday night, around 8 p.m. You'll be able to set your lineups. So just go to fanduelcom slash Carl and compete against me and Brian. And I'll whine about how you beat me next week on the show, unless I win, which I could. I've been doing pretty good. Okay, Brian, let's move on. More injuries still. And then we'll get to some outjuries and hot streaks and cold streaks. Got to talk about Jeff Carter, who has a damaged left ankle tendon. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. And that's the best case scenario. So that really sucks for him. He only has three assists in six games on the year. But this is not one of those cases where I think it's good that you could just stash him. This hurts Carter owners because I'm assuming he was going to bounce back any minute. He had 13 shots on goal in those six games. We were starting to get questions about dropping him. We said no. Moot point now. So here are the new lines in LA with Carter out. This is the lines that they ran in the 6-4 win over Columbus yesterday. Kaupatar, Brown, and a guy named Alex Ayafalo for line one. And then Tanner Pearson, Tyler Toffoli, and then Nick Shore took Jeff Carter's place centering those two guys. The top power play was Camilleri, Brown, Kopitar, Doughty, and Martinez. So that kind of irks me as a Toffoli owner. I thought maybe with Jeff Carter going down, maybe Tyler Toffoli could get onto that top power play, but it didn't happen. So I feel like it's not good for him. Let's talk about all these guys on LA. First of all, can't talk about anyone else on LA without talking about Dustin Brown, who's been so amazing. I guess I could also talk about Anche Kopitar, but he's obviously already owned in your league. Probably at this point, Brown is owned as well. He had a goal and three assists yesterday, along with six shots on goal. Also hitting a ton. If you're in a hits league and you didn't grab Dustin Brown, you must be feeling really bad about it right now. And even not, like shots getting good ice time, getting points, playing with Kopitar, top line, top power play, good minutes. I feel like Dustin Brown is great. Like, Brian, how high can he go this year? Are we talking maybe at least 50 points and maybe upside for 60? Or am I getting too crazy? At least 50 points seems like a given if this keeps up. Dustin Brown is a must-own in all leagues, and we talked about him at the start of this run and how he and Kopitar seem to work well together and that they're good for each other. And it's nice to see that Alex Iafalo isn't getting in the way as a third piece on that line. Not to say I'm interested in him at this point, but uh, it's really nice to see Dustin Brown making himself fantasy relevant. That's like a free late round draft pick that you plucked out of free agency if you were quick enough on the draw, like me. <laughs> for, for once, you. I'm actually never the guy who buys in early, unlike someone who's had 30 points in the last three seasons. I don't even think I realized it. I just wanted shots. Well, you got him, and I'm sure you're going to be holding on for now. So, Brian, why are you throwing shade at Alex Ayafalo? It seems like a really good spot playing with Kopitar and Dustin Brown right now. And he had two assists yesterday. He was plus six, three shots on goal. Uh, nothing much before then. Is he not someone that you're looking at in maybe a really deep league to grab because he's on that good line? Yeah, sure. In a deep league, possibly. Uh, he is a deeper ad, though. He's not someone I'd stream out anyone who's already seeing top six or top power play time, who's been an established 50-point player. Yeah, okay. And then there's actually another guy on LA who's somewhat producing that I had never heard of, a guy named Oscar Fantenberg on defense. He has assists in four straight games now. The main guys on LA are Muzzin and Martinez. They've, like, Muzzin's been on a really nice hot streak, and Martinez, like I said, is on the top power play and getting a bunch of blocks. So those guys are the defensemen you definitely want most on LA. But it seems like at this point, next is this guy, Oscar Fantenberg. How is he getting these assists? Is this just luck, or is he an actually good offensive player? Hard to say at this point. He's in a good position, which is nice. Still going to be in a good, like it's lasted for a few games. So as long as he's in there, I'd probably qualify him similarly to Aya Follow. 
Okay, <laughs> reasonable. And then, Brian, what about Toffoli owners like myself in a couple of leagues? Uh, should we be concerned at this point? Losing Jeff Carter and not being on the top power play, that's a double hit. He has five points in seven games, which is okay. 27 shots, which is great. Still kind of feels like a tough own moving forward if his center is going to be Nick Shore. And, like, I guess related, Tanner Pearson... I think he's probably a snoozer right now. If you still have Tanner Pearson, he's not playing with Jeff Carter. You could probably forget about him. He only has three points in seven games. Sure. And going back to Toffoli, his owner should definitely be concerned. The nice thing is that Toffoli's still presently putting the puck on net at a rate higher than he ever has before. His shot attempts per 60 are up. His shots on goal per 60 are way up. The not nice thing is his center is not Jeff Carter and is instead Nick Shore. I'd hang on to him if I own him in a league that counts shots. I'll hang on for as long as he's firing shots on net, but his value definitely takes a hit with that line mate downgrade. Okay, one more player on LA I want to run by you. Mike Camilleri, he was scratched for a couple games, but then he scored two goals and two assists versus Montreal on Wednesday, and then had an assist yesterday versus Columbus. He's getting low ice time, he's in the bottom six, but he's on the top power player, at least he was in the last game. Kind of seems like a Sam Gagne from last year. Is Camilleri worth a stream this coming week, considering LA plays four times? You know, we were thinking that he would be the Dustin Brown on LA this year, but Dustin Brown has taken that role, There is. Brown become the Camilleri. In any case, we thought Camilleri was the one who is going to help get Kopitar going after last season. Hasn't been the case, but at least he's gotten himself going now. And you can stream Camilleri for sure. I'm kind of thinking that he's what the Kings had hoped Marion Gabrick would have been for them for the last couple of years. I still don't know that Camilleri is going to reach the 55-point pace that Gabrick did at his peak with the Kings. But for now, you can stream him, proceed with caution, watch his ice time very closely. Brian, let's say you have to set your lineup for a weekly league and you're deciding between Camilleri and Alex Ayafalo. Who are you going with? Points only. Camilleri, how about you? I think I would go Ayafalo, actually. I'm a sucker for a top-line guy. It it could really go either way. They could both end up doing nothing. Okay, next injury, Matthew Perot is projected to miss four weeks with a lower body injury on Winnipeg. That sucks. He always gets injured. But the big winner here is Kyle Connor, who got called up from the minors and put right on a line with Shifley and Wheeler. I said before about playing with Bergeron and Marchand. Just as good. Shifley and Wheeler, that's amazing. And Kyle Connor has produced. He had a goal versus Columbus on two shots, played 17 minutes and 36 seconds. So it's not as if he's not being used at all. Then he had an assist on one shot versus Minnesota and played 19 minutes, including second unit power play time. So Kyle Connor seems to me to be the real deal. He's a guy who already had a huge pedigree. People were talking about him leading up to the season. He got sent to the minors, which is a bit of a bummer. But now he's back. He's in the top six. He's playing with good line mates. Does he leapfrog any of the rookies on top lines we've been excited about this year? and who you'd add right now like probably you don't want Kyle Connor over someone like Clayton Keller but you know we've been talking about Verana and Bjork and Brock Besser and Hishir is Connor in that group maybe above some people in that group that's a really good group of comparables for him it's nice to see once again that this is a player Kyle Connor getting a shot right away with a scoring line and it seems to be something NHL teams have finally figured out that a player with a scoring pedigree who's made their name by scoring should get to play in a scoring role when they enter the league, not like a bottom six paying dues role where they have to learn to be a two-way player and they can't actually do what they're best at. Anyway, all the guys you mentioned, I'd say it's a pretty even group. I'm no more or less sold on Connor than them. I feel like it really is a coin flip between all those guys until we get to see a little bit more of them. And by a little bit more of them, I'm like half a season. Oh, wow. I actually would say right now, I would take Kyle Connor above Verona, above Bjork, 
I'd say Brock Besser interests me just because he's also being put in a scoring role near. He has an assist today. By the way, he's had a pretty decent week. And his sheer, we just talked about, he's been pretty good. But yeah, I kind of just like Connor while he's playing on this line because these line mates, Shifley and Wheeler, you can't, but I guess, you know, like Verona and Bjork, I've also been playing with great line mates. It's tough. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is a coin flip. For some reason, my gut is telling me to go for Kyle Connor over at least a couple of those guys. Uh, also, speaking of Winnipeg, it seems like it's definitely time to grab Connor Hellebuck. I guess last week was the time. But like last week, we were talking about how Steve Mason was stinking and Hellebuck had been doing okay. And you should probably grab him, but we'll see if he could string together a few good games. Now, at this point, Hellebuck has won all four games he started. He has a 928 save percentage. Steve Mason is like a complete snoozer. He's sucked. He had another bad loss earlier this week, uh, led in five goals so he's gone like if you have him on your team you could drop him if you could drop him for hellebuck that's amazing i feel like is it i'm to consider like trading for hellebuck or or trading him away if his stock is too high like i just kind of feel like he's in a great situation we really liked him going into last year i think winnipeg i've I've always said this i think winnipeg could be a really good team if they could just get the goaltending now they're getting it and they're winning games i feel like this could be a really great magical season for connor hellebuck who thought that the jets goalie situation would look to be resolved so clearly and quickly or at least just be temporarily resolved so quickly into the season. Not to say it can't or won't get mucky again, but for the time being, Hellebuck's the guy, Mason's not. There's no other question to be asked about it until Connor Hellebuck starts posting below average save percentage numbers, which, again, very well could happen. Of course it could happen, but I feel like at this point he probably also has some rope. Considering who their other alternative is, I feel like if Connor Hellebuck has a bad game, it's not like they're just going to go right back to Mason. I feel like they would give Connor Hellebuck a couple of games considering how well he's done and how badly Mason has done. 100%. I did not mean to add that as like, but look out, Hellebuck's going to drop the ball soon. It's just nice. I'm going to go back to how I started the comment. It's nice to have clarity in the Jets crease. Let's hope Hellebuck can keep things clear for at least a little while. I wonder if Steve Mason got sent to the minors. I wonder if he'd clear waivers or not. Like like you brought up that maybe Vegas would go for him. But he's like, he hasn't been as bad as Antony Yemi, who I feel like has probably played his last game in the NHL. I was saying that in our Facebook group yesterday that I feel like he's done. I actually predicted that he'd be out of the NHL, like be waived by the time we recorded this podcast. That didn't happen. But Mason is probably the next disappointing guy after Niemi at this point. Is that going too far? Yes. Okay, I don't know. We'll have to think. Who's been the second most disappointing goalie this year after Antoniemi? Though, I mean, to be fair, I guess shame on you for being disappointed in Antoniemi because we should have all seen this coming. Uh, okay, next injury. One last injury, okay? Brian, Cam Fowler, he's out for the Ducks. As if the Ducks really needed another injury, but they get one, unfortunately. The severity is not yet known at the time of recording, so hopefully he won't be out long. But if he is, at least the Ducks have some good news that Vatnin and Lindholm could both be back next week. So this could be a reason, actually, to jump on Sammy Vatnin right now as he could step right onto the top power play when he comes back onto the team. Like, I would have thought that was for sure Cam Fowler's job. Now, obviously, with him injured, that could be Vatnin's job or it could be Brandon Montour's job. He had a goal and an assist in the 6-2 blowout of the Habs on Friday. He jumped right to the top power play when Fowler went down. Montour has four points in seven games overall on the season, 18 shots, which is pretty good for a defenseman. Not really any hits or blocks aside from this random seven block game versus Colorado that he had over a week ago. But overall, like Anaheim plays four games next week, only one of four teams who have four games. I feel like it might be a smart move to jump on an Anaheim D right now, but I'm not sure who it should be. Assuming Vatnin is going to be coming back, who would you rather have, Montour or Sammy Vatnin? And maybe just in general, you could give us your thoughts on Brandon Montour at this point. I'll Celine Sammy Vatanen once he's back. But in the meantime, Montour does make a reasonable ad if you're in need of defense. Also worth mentioning, 
Josh Manson on the Anaheim blue line. He had seven shots in that wild game against Montreal over the weekend. He's the son of former NHL journeyman Dave Manson, for anyone who's interested in that sort of thing. Uh, He has four assists in seven games played, which is the same amount of points as Montour, but also helps you more in peripherals. He was averaging two shots on goal per game, even without that seven-shot outburst. And on top of that, he'll give you at least a couple hits and nearly a couple blocks each game. He also had season-high ice time last game, so he might have a smaller role, or it might appear that he has a smaller role than Montour, but the peripherals are there, and you know he's going to help you even if he doesn't put in points. Yeah, I guess if you want to grab an Anaheim D, maybe wait until practice lines before the next game and see who's on the top power play, then jump on that guy. Uh, By the way, like I said earlier, Ryan Gatsloff was practicing on Saturday with Corey Perry and Ricard Raquel, so it looks like Gatsloff will be back, and he'll hopefully help whichever defenseman you pick up with some help on the power play, because obviously that power play is a lot better with Ryan Getzlaff there. Speaking of players who make their team's power play better, let's switch over to Outcheries and talk about Eric Carlson, who is back. And to nobody's surprise, he hasn't missed a step. I love Eric Carlson, Brian. He's so good. So he did nothing against Vancouver in the game where you drafted him on FanDuel. But then after that, he had three assists versus New Jersey with eight shots on goal. Then another three assists yesterday versus Toronto. Hopefully you bought low when you had the chance. We had a couple of patrons who asked us questions about trading for Carlson while he was injured. I'm sure they're all feeling really great right now that they did that. Uh, to make the most minor of nitpicks, Carlson only has blocked one shot in each of his three games. And this is a guy who was second in the league overall in block shots last year. Should we assume his blocking days are over now that he had this injury? Like, I feel like they definitely should be. Like, let Cody Cece take care of the blocks moving forward. I don't want Eric Carlson going anywhere near an opportunity to get injured CC, by the way, had five blocks yesterday versus Toronto. He has 24 on the year. He's good at that. And if he gets injured, it's not the end of the world. I'm just, I'm just happy Carlson's back. I want him to stay healthy. Yeah, let's hope Eric Carlson's days of blocking shots are behind him. If it didn't win him the Norris, then why should he continue to do it? I can't say for sure that the blocks are going to entirely disappear, though. He's still playing in Guy Boucher's system, which does ask for a lot of trapping, getting in shooting lanes. But honestly, if you own Eric Carlson, and you're like thinking, well, maybe he can help me block. You should rather he didn't block any shots. Go find them elsewhere because with every shot he blocks, he risks missing significant time and not helping you. Right. And a quick correction from something I said earlier. I said only four teams are playing four games next week. It's actually five teams. The Ducks, Pens, Kings, Canes, and Flames. All playing four times next week for any of you that are riding the stream game. Thanks, Dave, in the chat room. Okay, Brian, let me go to an injury now on Ottawa. Bobby Ryan has suffered a broken index finger. That happened in the game yesterday. He should be out for around a month. That's a shame because he had six assists in eight games. Looked like he was maybe bouncing back after that horrible year last year. Could be an okay stash, by the way, if he's available in free agency. Maybe you could pick him up, throw him in an IR spot. I don't know. Anyway, this could maybe open up the door for Mike Hoffman to jump back into the top six after spending time on the Pajot-Pyatt line yesterday. Bobby Ryan was playing with Broussard and Stone on line one, and those are really great line mates right now. Broussard and Stone have both been great this year. They have 10 and 9 points, respectively, in eight games. Four and three points in the last two games. They've been heating up right now. Obviously, it doesn't hurt that Eric Carlson is back. Stone is probably already owned in your league. Maybe Broussard at this point is, or maybe not just because of his dreadful 39-point season last year. Do you think that Broussard can jump back to the 60-ish points that he was putting up back when he was on the Rangers? Before I actually get into Broussard, Elon, do you know how Bobby Ryan got injured? I just know he hurt his finger, his index finger. By blocking a shot. Oh, no! Why? 
right. There's also Malkin last year in the fantasy playoffs blocked a shot and missed a bunch of games. Yeah, that was the most impactful shot block of the entire NHL season last year. But back to Broussard. While all eyes were on Kyle Touris doing pretty well for a few games, Broussard was the one who quietly started producing also. He now has two more points than Touris on the year thanks to his big Saturday night against Toronto. Obviously, there's no way he keeps up his current pace, but he's still looking more capable at this moment than he did at any point last year. So that's nice. 60 points is kind of rich. Those seasons where he got 60 were two and three years ago. One of them came with a 70-point Rick Nash. I'll give him 55. I like his role in line mates. And at 30 years old, he should still be capable of getting there. Okay, let's go to our next outjury, Roman Yosi. Returned to the Predators after missing three games with a lower body injury. He had a goal and assist, seven shots in his return versus Colorado. No points, five shots versus Philly. An assist yesterday versus the Rangers. Just like Carlson, he's not blocking much anymore, and I feel like his owners shouldn't really complain. And with a huge share of power play time with the Red Hot Forsberg, he's a clear elite D option. Nothing really to say about Roman Yosi. He's amazing. Though one thing we need to talk about is that Yosi's return seems to have hurt P.K. Subban. Subban had a goal and six assists in his first five games of the year, but nothing in the three games since Yosi has returned. Are we now back to the 45-ish point pace P.K. Subban from last year? He did actually share top power play duties with Forsberg, Hartnell, Johansson, and Yosi yesterday, so that's good. But I'd imagine if the Preds decide to bring Arvidsson back to the top power play, it's going to be P.K. Subban who is the first to get bumped. I've said it before. I'll say it again. P.K. Subban in a healthy Nashville lineup is a 45-point player. Don't let yourself hope for more. The temptation is there when you see what he did with Yossi out and you pair it with, well, he had 60 points in years of yore, but he was playing an entirely different role within a different system then. If the Predators can use Subban as more of a forward on the power play to their satisfaction, like as someone who can handle a flank, take shots from there, cycle the puck around, which he probably can, then maybe he can hang on to that top power play spot. But the default still remains four forwards, one defenseman in Nashville, not including Subban, until we see this for longer. So not really too much reason to get any more excited about P.K. Subban than you might have already been. And while we're on Nashville, just before we move on, we have a correction to make from last week's episode. Brandon on Twitter let us know Samuel Gerard. We were talking about him and what happens to him once Roman Yosi returns. Elon, if my notes are correct, we still don't know what's going to happen, but we do know, thanks to Brandon, that he cannot go to the AHL. It's either back to the queue or staying in the NHL for him. They're going to have to make that choice at some point this season. I assume before he plays nine games or something like that. This isn't a, that's not a, that's not a strength of ours to know those eligibility requirements. So yeah, no one cares. Just <laughs> just exposing us for something that we didn't even need to, to say. But yeah, thank you for the correction, Brandon. Uh, Brian, by the way, another outjury is Alex Steen. Here's one I think we're going to agree with and we could get through quickly. He's back for the Blues. He went right to line one with Tarasenko and Stasny, which is great, but he's done nothing in three games, even on that good line. And it's worth noting that he didn't bump any of Schwartz, Tarasenko, Stasny, or Shen from the first power play. If people picked up Alex Steen in anticipation of his return, can he be dropped now? Or do you, have you seen anything to indicate that he can still be a 50-plus point guy since he's on the top line? Because I, I would drop him if he's not a 50-plus point guy. Yeah, maybe he'll need a few games more to begin doing anything, but I don't think there's any need to hold on to him in the meantime. Let him go, even though it's tempting because of his current deployment. But I've got to see something from him first, especially after the way things went last year. 
Okay, and then this one, though, I think we might disagree. So another guy who's come back and done nothing is Nick Schmaltz, but I'm actually still into him. So he's been centering Kane and Hartman, but has nothing to show for it aside from a couple of shots in three games played. Kane, by the way, is doing fine. He's on a five-game point streak, but Hartman and Schmaltz have done nothing. Hartman has a goal on four shots in three games last week. Like I said, Schmaltz didn't do anything. Would you hold out for either of these guys, or should people be looking to stream them out of their lineups if they still have Schmaltz and or Hartman just because they're playing with Patrick Kane? That line is definitely slowed down, and I even think you undersold how irrelevant Schmaltz has been over the last week or so. Two shots over three games with no points. Of course, the upside is still there for both of them because they're playing with Patrick Kane. You may be able to cycle them out for the short term unless you're sitting like really comfortably ahead in your standings anyway. Or if you're in a deeper league, you probably don't want to let them go either. Okay, one more outro, Brian, and then we'll get to some cold streaks. Uh, Boone Jenner returned for Columbus yesterday, his first game of the year. He played big minutes, 18 minutes and 11 seconds. He played on line two with Felino and Bjorkstrand. He had no points, but he had six shots on goal and four hits. So if you're in a bangers and mash league, he's definitely an intriguing option. Seems like a solid bet for peripherals with a chance for some goals, right? Yeah, that's what he is. I'm not getting ahead of myself and projecting any really impressive production, but those peripherals with a very good shot at at least... I have point per game pace, make him worth adding in leagues that count hits and shots on goal, especially. By the way, I just want to make a prediction right now. I think Nick Schmaltz is going to have a good week next week. Just, just, just a gut feeling, but okay. Were La- you, were you, were you hoping I would disagree with you more vehemently so you could really make that point in a forceful way? Cause I sort of did agree with you that, that there is production to come from these guys. Yeah, like, I guess, yeah, it would have been fun for you to disagree. But it's just something I wanted to say on the show, on the record, that usually it's easy, right? The job could be easy because we could just say anyone who's doing badly, they're going to keep doing badly. Anyone who's doing well, they're going to keep doing well. But that wouldn't make us the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. So there we go. Going against the grain, I think Nick Schmaltz could still do something, even though he had such a dreadful week last week. Brian, on to cold streaks. Like I said, I've been keeping a big list and many have broken out and done well since I wrote their names down. But I'm feeling normally if I have a player down as a cold streak guy and then they start doing well, I like cross them out and end up not bringing them up on the show. But I kind of want to go through the full list so we can learn from some of these case studies, like why not to bail on your studs in some cases. And Brian, of course, you could let us know if you think any of these guys should still be players that you're concerned about. Let's start in Dallas. Alex Radulov hasn't started the year the way many people hoped he would. Only four points in eight games, even though he's been on line one and power play one with Ben and Sagan. Uh, But he did have a goal and an assist in his last three, which isn't great, but it's something. He's doing something. And like I said, he's still getting that good deployment. Should he end up as more than a half point per game guy? Like we expect he still will, right? Yeah, definitely. He's being outscored by Radek Faxa at the moment and Matthias Janmark. And Radulov is also tied with big names like Tyler Pitlick and Devin Shore in Dallas Stars scoring. Mind you, his line mates each have twice as many points as him. That's Ben and Sagan. Radulov's IPP shows him being left out as much as you'd infer from the difference in those point totals. He's way down at 30% when we can reasonably expect him to be in on 60% of all goals scored while he's on the ice, either by getting the goal himself or by assisting on it. So his point totals are going to bounce back. It's a great buy low time, but you still may want to exercise some caution in how much you're willing to give up. Like I wouldn't want to let go of anyone guaranteed 60 points or more. 
Okay, that's right. And also, he doesn't help so much with shots, so that's the reason also to not get especially excited. But still, he's better than how he's been. By the way, let's take a second to rave about some of these other Dallas stars. Ben and Sagan, like you said, they both have eight points in eight games. Sagan is third in the league right now in shots with 45 behind Ovechkin, who has 50, and Evander Kane, who has 47. But Sagan has one game in hand on those guys, so it should be a fun, tight race moving forward. I hope that Evander Kane stays healthy, so it could be a three-horse race all the way to the end. Also, John Klingberg has seven points in eight games. Like, all the studs on Dallas are producing, I guess, except for Radulov. And by the way, Brian, at this point, can we call Jason Spezza a snoozer? He's done nothing pretty much for the year, has only three points in eight games. He's still off power play one. I see no reason to hold him until something changes in his deployment. He was also on my list of cold streaks. Spezza has not registered a point on the last 15 Dallas goals and counting. That's four games worth. And he still has not worked his way onto the top power play unit, which I imagined he, he could have done by now. I actually dropped him today for Dustin Brown in a shallowish league. Spezza is presently the definition of a snoozer. Yeah, I want to clarify. He's not on my cold streak list. Spezza is on my snoozer list, which means you are snoozing if he's still in your lineup. Okay, another guy that we had questions about was Logan Couture, who only had one goal in his first four games of the year, leading to all these questions about, oh, should I drop Couture? But now he's put up two goals and two assists versus Montreal, and then he had a hat trick yesterday at the Islanders. Seems like he's the type of guy that could go hot and cold throughout the year, but definitely worth owning in pretty much all formats, right? Yes, definitely worth owning in all formats. Well said. Okay. And then I guess since we're on San Jose, there's a lot of players that people have been nervous about. Like Brent Burns had a slow start, but now he has three assists in his last three games. He had eight shots yesterday. Looks like the bounce back has begun. The buy low opportunity has probably started to end. Joe Thornton has one goal and four assists in his last three games. I actually made a bet with one of our longtime patrons, Dave, on a patron cast over the summer that Thornton would hit 60 points this year. I think I had over, he had under. I think like I'm in good shape to win that bet. He has six points in seven games so far. Who do you think is going to win that one, Brian? I think you're going to win it. His value it can still be dubious in a lot of leagues, seeing as Thornton is at the most common position center, and he only contributes in assists and power play assists, a few shots, fewer goals to speak of, kind of like a Nick Backstrom light at this stage of his career. I actually added him today in the cupful, hoping for that over 55-point potential myself. Yeah, and then one more person I guess I have to mention on San Jose. Who is Tim Heed? He's on the top power play right now with Burns, Thornton, Couture, Pavelski. We spent like all summer trying to figure out who would get that spot. Was it going to be LeBanc or Meyer or Hurdle? It's Tim Heed, a defenseman. He has two assists in his last three games, including one on the power play. If this keeps up, he should definitely be on people's radars, right? Like a top power play defenseman on San Jose? I feel like we probably have a listener named Tim Heed. That's as familiar as anyone would already be with him. Uh, He's a 26-year-old Swedish defenseman, originally a fifth-round pick of Anaheim back in 2010, but he only crossed the pond to play in North America for the first time last year. Heed led the San Jose Barracuda last year in points per game with 56 points in 55 games for a defenseman. So clearly he's an offense-first defenseman, and yeah, he should be on people's fantasy radars. The Sharks have tried several forwards, and we've talked about all of them as they've taken their turns to be the fourth one on that top unit, but nobody's made it work, so why not keep trying him? The caveat, if you're thinking of adding him on your fantasy team, is that Tim Heed gets less than two shots on goal per game, barely any peripherals, but even like a shot and a half is decent value for a defenseman who could still get you a point 
somewhat regularly. Yeah, and a power play point to boot. Uh, yes, that one definitely that I'm starting to watch. Another guy who I hadn't heard of going to the season, I will admit it. All right, we can't do an episode of Keeping Carlson without talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins. Believe it or not, we even heard from a worried Evgeny Malkin owner at some point in the past week. He had gone pointless in three games before his most recent three games where he's been amazing. Like, overall in the season, basically, he's been amazing. He had four points in his first three games. And then he has six in his last three games. And there was a small three-game stretch in the middle. So I don't know if that means that his next three will be bad again. He's going to go on and off in three-game stretches. I don't think so. I think he's going to be consistently awesome. Honestly, Brian, I'm not even going to ask you anything about Evgeny Malkin. The only worry about him is if he's going to get injured while he's healthy. He's going to be great. There is, of course, some intrigue on the team we're talking about because they've been shaking up the lines. Like, every game, it's really hard to keep track. And I imagine after the 7-1 loss yesterday, I think more shakeups are probably to come. At one point this week, Gensel and Shiri were playing on a line with Greg McKegg. They both got punished. Crosby was playing with the likes of Rust or Haglin or Hornquist. Pretty much Hornquist and then one of Rust or Haglin. Now, like, the lines are looking like maybe it's going to be Shiri and Horkfist on that top line with Crosby. But again, like, we'll have to see the practice lines because it's really hard to know what's going on in Pittsburgh right now. Gensel and Shiri's ice times have all been all over the place. Shiri, in particular, was hovering just around 10 minutes for a few games. Meanwhile, by the way, Patrick Hornquist has been getting big minutes on the top line and top power play. So he's someone that people are probably feeling smart about drafting if they got him late in their leagues, especially if their league counts hits and shots. Brian, like, what do you make of all this? What what would you do if you were a Gensel or Shiri owner? Like, it seems like a very stressful situation to be in because these are guys with huge upside, but at the same time, they could be bumped to line three and not on the top power play for long stretches. What do you do in this scenario if you own one of these guys? You try and tell the future and you look in your crystal ball and that's as best as you can do. I know no more than anyone else about what the future holds for these guys. It seems like all of Gensel, Shiri, Hornqvist, All their owners are going to need to handle a fairly high baseline level of anxiety all season. At this point, if it's me, and it is me, I own Shiri in a league, I just hold and I wait and I see if some kind of pattern emerges over the first quarter of the year that helps me understand how they're going to be deployed. Of course, in the meantime, if production disappears, then you have to reevaluate if either of these guys are worth holding. But thankfully, they're also contributing at least something to earn and maintain a spot on your roster. Yeah, like someone like Jake Gensel, we were really talking up going into the year. Now I feel kind of bad about it. Like I thought he was a sure shot to be on the top line with Crosby and even a decent shot to be on the top power play. Last game, neither of those things happened. We'll see what happens moving forward. Pittsburgh plays four times next week, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'd probably put these guys in your lineup if you have a weekly league and just hope for the best. And also if you have a deep league and you have guys like Rust or Haglin available in free agency, these are guys who might get a chance in the top six sometime during the week. I'm just going to say it hasn't been so bad for Jake Gensel. Maybe we would have hoped for point per game with all the hype that was coming for him in the preseason, but he does have three goals and three assists for six points in nine games, 23 shots on goal. So not too shabby at all. Also, thanks for not naming me as the concerned Malkin owner at the beginning of the week. Wait, that was you? Well, it could have been me. I I lost my first matchup badly and I blame him. For part of it. And actually one of the guys who's also been called that you're about to bring up the guy who plays. Well, he's coming next. Wait, well, I have someone else on Pittsburgh I want to bring up first. Yeah, after that guy. Okay, so we've got even more of a tease. But first, Brian, I guess we have to mention Oli Mata has been picking up assists in almost every game. He has eight points in nine games at this point on the season. Last time we brought him up, you said, eh, it's not, it's not going to keep up. Uh, have you changed your opinion on him at all? Or do you still feel the same way? I'm getting... Uh, 
memories of last year where we were having the same conversation about Justin Schultz when he started putting up a bunch of points and we were kind of like, ah, it's probably not going to keep up. He's not on the top power play. Of course, then once Latang got injured, Schultz went crazy. But now Ole Mata, you know, forgetting about a Latang injury, he's doing just fine with Latang and Schultz in the lineup. What a run for Mata so far. Eight points, six of them primaries. So either a goal or first assist for six of those points. But this is not that in terms of Mata being Schultz last year. And this is why I'm not yet sold. Uh, first off, Mata has already beaten his total points mark from last year when he had seven points in 55 games. Mata has already collected three power play points this year, which equals the number of power play points he's notched since the start of the 2014-15 season combined over a span of 142 games, during which, yes, he only had three power play points. And the third reason why I'm not yet sold is that Justin Schultz is already there. Like, if you asked it if if this is like the Justin Schultz train that I was late to get on, that train is still a train. Can there be three trains on the tracks, the Latang, Schultz, and Mata train? I don't think so. I think there's regression to come in all the numbers you'd expect for Mata. Ride him while he's hot. That's what I said about Schultz. That's what I'll say about Mata, that you can't expect this to last, which I also said about Schultz, but was wrong. All right, well, you're trying it again with Mata. We'll check back in in a couple. I'm sure we're going to talk about Pittsburgh like every week, so we'll keep bringing him up until something changes. Uh, okay, the guy that you were teasing, Brian, is John Tavares, who has started the year slow. He had two goals and assists in the second game of the year versus Buffalo. He had a goal and two assists yesterday versus San Jose. But aside from that, he's done nothing in the other six games this year. Is this what we should expect from Tavares this year? Like sort of inconsistent production, a breakout every once in a while, but a lot of scoreless games? Or is this just something that's unexpected and shouldn't happen? moving forward like it's it hasn't been that great as a John Tavares owner I have to say he and Malkin were my big auction draft investments coming out of our tier one cupful draft and uh yeah so I was disappointed in him too but Tavares has been a pretty consistent scorer in the past so I'm just gonna expect that to continue I'm not all of a sudden expecting streakiness I think he's got a new line mate they're trying to make it work Oh, you mean in Jordan Eberle. Okay, well, uh-huh. let's talk about him. Let's talk about Anders Lee. They're both still on line one and power play one with Tavares. Lee's been pretty good. He has five goals in eight games, also one assist. So that should be good for another 40-ish goal season. That'd be amazing, actually. Eberle, though, he hasn't been that good. He has just four assists in eight games. He has 21 shots, which is decent, but only zero and two shots in the last two games. So his shots are slowing down. It's only two games, of course. Plus, if you're in a bangers and mash league where hits are counted, Everly doesn't help you there. Like, he pretty much only helps you in shots right now. Is it maybe time to consider Jordan Everly? Definitely not a snoozer, but he's on a cold streak. Is he like a guy you would stream for some of these other players that we bring up every now and then? Like, you know, all those rookies that I mentioned before, like the Bjorks and the Kyle Connors and whatever is Everly in their class now? Or do you still see him as someone that must be rostered and we have to wait out this cold streak? Like, Tavares is cold. Maybe once Tavares heats up, that means Everly will heat up as well. And you're saying that you think that will happen for Tavares. I'm leaning towards the latter for sure. The early returns for Eberly sure haven't been great, but I'd hang on to see what he does once that line does get clicking. If you regress Jordan Eberly to his career average shooting percentage, he'd have two or three goals by now, in which case we wouldn't be having this conversation at all. So no, I don't think he's a streamer. I think you've got to give it another week, three to five games to let something happen. I own him in the same league that I own Tavares and Malkin. I've learned my lesson with them. I'm going to hang on to Eberly for now. 
Okay, yeah, seems fair, but I'm I'm a little concerned just because he also had that disappointing year last year. He took a lot of shots, not a lot of points. I wonder if he's just not good at shooting at the right places. But okay, uh, one more guy on the Islanders I want to bring up is Ryan Pulak, who was called up. He's played two games. He had a power play assist in his first game, but has seen less than 10 minutes of ice time in each of the games. I assume we're going to say we're not interested in Ryan Pulak, even if he gets top power play time. If he can't even break 10 minutes of ice time, you can't expect production from him. Yeah, you assume correctly. I mean, the Isles have been in need of a better power play blue liner for a little while now. So there's a decent chance that Pulak keeps getting a crack at that role. So you can call dibs on him in a deep league, but probably not an urgent ad for you. We're getting an update in the chat room here. So we could post this back in the injuries section. Yarmer Yager has been put on the IR. So that sucks. Hopefully he'll come back and, and do okay and have a nice end of his career. But okay, back to the cold streaks. Uh, here's a guy who might actually be a legit cold streak. Brayden Point started the year strong for the Lightning with seven points in three games, but then only had one assist in his next five games. He had a nice one goal, one assist game yesterday versus Pittsburgh, but I'm not sure if we should really put too much stock in that since these goals were against Antony Yemi. So Braden Point is playing with Palat and Yanni Gourd. He's not on the top power play. Seems like a decent sell-high opportunity at this point while, while he's still over a point per game overall. And he's just had like this really good game before. Like I feel like someone like Braden Point, I don't think he's going to be that amazing because he's not on the best line. He's clearly talented. But if you could sell him to someone who just looks at his overall numbers and sees, wow, over a point per game, he just had a goal and assist versus Pittsburgh, see what you can get for him. Definitely. You can try to sell high. He's actually a good example of what could happen to Vladislav Nemesnikov. I know that's not a very popular thing to be saying at all in fantasy hockey circles these days, but Nemesnikov, you can ride him if you want. Remember that that spot that he's in has been cycled often in the past, including Nemesnikov himself being shuffled off it as recently as late last year. I'm sorry for turning in something about Braden Point into something about Vladislav Nemesnikov. By the way, we keep mentioning the Emmy on the Penguins, and he hasn't been waived since that most recent performance, which can only make me think that his purpose in Pittsburgh is for them to practice winning on hard mode. Eh, okay. Uh, but Brian, okay, let's talk more about Nemesnikov because I wonder if at this point, like, you can try to sell high on him, but I wonder, like, you have to be very careful not to sell and not get enough return for him. He has at least one point in all but one of the games so far this year, playing with Kucherov and Stamkos on line one and power play one. Kucherov and Stamkos have been just amazing. I feel at this point, maybe you don't sell high on Nemesnikov and you would just, like, ride the wave. Like, I feel like you're not going to get, like, a superstar for him, and I wouldn't want to get just a 60-point guy for him. I'd rather ride this out seems like he should be able to hit 60 points easy if he stays with this deployment on the top line and top power play all year of course you're saying your concern is that maybe he gets removed from that line and then obviously that takes a hard hit to his value but like he's playing with Stamkos and Kucherov who are leading the league in points right now with 18 and 60 points respectively in nine games by the way speaking of those guys I wonder what kind of odds you could get right now on picking Stamkos to win the Art Ross over guys like Crosby and McDavid he's in the lead right now and playing with Kucherov I think he has a chance Yeah, he has a chance, and you do make a good point that you might not get great value back for Nemesnikov because no one else is really going to be buying in. So enjoy him while he's doing his thing. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting, but I think I already made my point on him is that it's a tenuous spot that he's in, but of course we're not going to think too hard about that while he's on a six-game point streak. Wow. And what do you think about my prediction about Stamkos winning the Art Ross Trophy? What odds would you need to make that play? Ooh, If 
I could get 10 to 1 odds, I would make that bet for sure. But probably I won't get that great odds. I wonder if there are odds posted somewhere for the Art Ross Trophy that are being updated after every game. That would be fun to follow. Uh, okay, still on Tampa Bay. We really have to start talking more about Mikhail Sergachev. If he's still available in your league, you have to consider adding him. He has two points in each of his last three games, up to seven points in his last five games, seeing consistent second power play time. He had a season-high 16 minutes and 56 seconds of ice time yesterday versus Pittsburgh. Is Sergachev someone you're jumping to add at this point, playing on this high-powered offensive team? I'd be curious, though, who would you take between Sergachev or one of these Anaheim guys like Montour or, or, or Vatanen? I would take Sergachev. Remember, even if he's not on that top power play unit, he's still on the second unit, which includes Tyler Johnson, Braden Point, Andre Palat. That's a real nice unit to still be playing on better than some other teams or equivalent to some other teams' first units. If you're looking for scoring from a defense spot, then yeah, you should be adding him. Sergachev is going to get points by osmosis for as long as Tampa keeps rolling this way. And that's why I would prefer him to either of those Anaheim defensemen. And don't look now, but Andre Vasilevsky has seven wins on the year, a 9.33 save percentage in eight games. He's top in the league in wins by a good margin right now. He's third in save percentage of goalies who have played at least four games behind just Crawford and Jonathan Quick. So Andre Vasilevsky looking really great right now. If you drafted him, you're really happy with yourself. Tampa Bay is looking like the real deal. They are going to score some goals this year, that's for sure. Uh, we had a bunch of cold street questions lately for Carolina players. For some reason, we kept getting questions about people wanting to drop Jeff Skinner, even though he never went more. More than a game without getting a point. I guess people were concerned about him being on line three with Derek Ryan and Brock McGinn. That has continued to be the case, but he has three goals, one assist, and nine shots in Carolina's last two games. He's doing really well. Here's a pro tip for you. You probably don't want to drop a 37 goal scorer from last year after a couple of weeks, especially if he hasn't even done anything bad. Like obviously not being on a great line isn't great, but if you're a really great player, you can make it work. And clearly Jeff Skinner is showing that he can do well wherever he's playing because he's going to take a bunch of shots to score a bunch of goals. Someone that maybe it's more fair to be concerned about is Sebastian Ajo, who came into the season with a lot of hype, but even with his assist yesterday, he only has three assists in six games overall. And the first two assists came in the first game. So there was a long stretch with nothing. He did have six shots yesterday, which was nice as well. He's got 20 shots overall on the year. So he's shooting. That's good. But do we still see Ajo as a 60 point guy like we did going into the season? Or are we going to downgrade our projection for him after what we've seen so far? Here's the thing with the Carolina Hurricanes and Sebastian Ajo. The Canes rank 25th in goals four per game, and they've played fewer games than most teams, and they've played them at a slower pace than most teams. I'm not talking Corsi. It's like after the first week when every other team had three or four games played, Carolina was still stuck with two, so it felt really slow. Anyway, Carolina ranks even lower in total goals scored, of course, because they've played fewer games and rank low in goals four per game played. Anyway, they have 17 goals on the season. That puts them in 29th, ahead of only Edmonton and Montreal. So there hasn't been a ton of offense in Carolina for Sebastian Ajo to get in on. I'm still holding out hope that he can beat 55 points. But in the short term, he is becoming streamable in the shallower leagues. But in the very short term, he's got a good schedule this week. So maybe give him one more week to prove himself. Yeah, if you've held Ajo all this time, I'd say definitely hold on for his four games next week. And if he's in free agency, grab him. I still like him as well. I'd like to see what he's going to do with this nice schedule next week. And then, Brian, we have Steve Laidlaw's favorite goalie, Scott Darling, with a sad 898 save percentage after five games to start the year. Basically, though, I don't know if you could really trust these numbers. Like, yeah, Darling has an 898 save percentage, which sounds horrible. But if you look at the actual games he's played, he's had two great games, two really bad stinkers, and then one average game. 
So I'm not sure if that changes how we're looking at him. Like, are you starting to get concerned about Scott Darling? Do you expect him to get back to being at least like a league average goalie on a team that could get some wins? Like we at one point were saying that we think he could be a decent number two goalie on your fantasy team. Do you still feel like this is the case? I do. This is not reason to be concerned yet. You can still expect him to get back to at least league average. And I still think Scott Darling can be a good number two option on your fantasy team. All right, so we'll have to check back in on him in a little bit. Once Carolina's played a few more games, when you've only played five games overall as a goalie, things could go wonky with your numbers if you have just a couple bad games like he has. All right, Brian, it's time. Let's talk Habs. They suck. They're one and seven on the season. They've only scored more than two goals twice so far, and in those games, they scored three times. So they're not scoring a lot of goals. They've also let in at least four goals five times out of their eight games. They're not scoring goals, and they're letting in a lot of goals. Carey Price currently is riding an 881 save percentage and a 3.94 goals against average. There's no way you still think he's a tier one goalie at this point, right? Our patron, Colin, said that he traded price for jake allen and we were all thinking oh huh that's that's quite the drop in like value from what their values were going into the year i'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that trade at this point like allen's winning games he's four two and one even though he only has a nine twelve save percentage but carry price anyways i asked you like before you shamed me for saying i don't think he's a tier one goalie anymore at this point like how can you think he's a tier one goalie in fantasy when he's on such a horrible team and he's not even like doing much himself I love that this is the conversation that follows immediately after you say, well, Scott Darling, he's only played five games and gold heading numbers can be wonky over that time. So let's not get too judgy about what he's doing. And then you like clean the slate completely to talk about Carey Price. Let's talk about context first and zoom out on the Montreal Canadiens. They are dead last in the league in goals scored, only 13 goals this year. They're also dead last in goals per game, but they rank second in the league in shots per game. And that adds up to a god-awful team shooting percentage that's under 3.5%, less than half of what the league average number is, and what they should eventually get shooting at. The Habs also rank 28th in power play percentage, converting just 3 of 32 opportunities with the man advantage. That, too, will improve. As for Carey Price specifically, how's he going to win when the team isn't scoring goals in front of him? Number one, even if he was playing well, but he's not. You're right, he's not playing well. And here's what actually really upsets me about Price's numbers thus far. His low save percentage is truly an even strength occurrence. Like, I'd have hoped to find that he was really blowing it on the penalty kill or something weird instead. But he ranks dead last amongst starters so far this year with an 880 even strength save percentage. Elon, do you want to guess it who the next worst is after him? Steve Mason? No. Okay, tell me. Niemi. No, I am, I'm actually oh. not sure if these guys qualify. Think of goalies who have played four or five games already. I don't know. Tell me. Frederick Anderson and Matt Murray. So the team in front makes a big difference because nobody is ringing alarm bells about the Leafs and the Penguins uh, or those goaltenders' performances actually would be the more relevant one. The teams are good. The goaltenders have not been, but they've been really nicely cushioned by the team scoring goals and doing well. Anyway, going back to Carey Price, Uh, His current even strength save percentage at 880, it's more than 50 points behind his usual even strength save percentage from the last few years. He's getting creamed on high danger and medium danger shots. And I agree with you that his play right now is not that of a tier one goalie, but I remain firm in my resolve that 95 times out of 100, Carey Price is a tier one goalie. Not like you'd expect any more reliable odds from any other tier one guy. I'm going to still hold out hope that this is not one of those five out of every 100 seasons where he does poorly. As for trading Carey Price for Jake Allen, 
I would try and do better than that. Get another tier one or tier two guy instead. I can appreciate, and we had a question like this on our patrons only mailbag show, Elon. I can appreciate how you might want some consistency from someone who you know is going to win games and at least not totally blow up your stats the way Price is doing. But I still think you should be able to do a little bit better than that for the value that Price should still hold even after a rough start. Yeah, maybe you could get a tier two goalie for Carey Price, but probably not anymore at this point. So I guess you kind of have to hold if you have him. But Brian, I don't know, tier one, like I know you think he's a good goalie and I don't even disagree with you. I think he's going to bounce back and be a good goalie. I more so just think the Habs are a really bad team. I know you're saying that they've, you know, not had a really good shooting percentage, which is true, but also their defense looks bad. But okay, let's talk about some of these offensive players and see if we can make people feel better about them. Because of course, part of having a really bad shooting percentage is you're going to have a lot of players on your team that don't have a lot of points and are disappointing their fantasy owners. We have guys like Drew and Weber, Pacioretty. They're all supposed to be stars. They're all doing nothing. Drew has been the best of the group and he leads the team with a sad five points in eight games this is like um minnesota wild team leading scorer type numbers or i don't know i shouldn't even throw shade at them you know we have some teams where we say or like vegas you know going into the year we were like saying it'll be tough for any vegas player to get above 50 points that's kind of how it's looking on montreal so far though of course you've said it might just be the low shooting percentage yeah druin he has two one goal one assist games and he's pointless in five of the other eight games the Habs have played Pacioretty, much worse. He has his one goal from the first game of the year, and that's it. No points since the first game. He had 10 shots on goal versus Anaheim in the last game. Nothing went in. Then you have Shea Weber, who has just a goal and an assist, but at least is contributing some shots and blocks. So he's doing what we were expecting, just would have hoped for a few more points. Should people be buying low on all of these halves, or do you sell while you still can get something for them? Like I feel like Pacioretty is the big one. If people have Pacioretty, they drafted him pretty high. He's taking a good number of shots, but nothing's going in. What's his value at this point? As I mentioned in my tons of shots, not at all very many goals argument, I would buy low cautiously on all of these guys, essentially. Their shooting percentage and power play numbers that I referenced earlier, there are reason to buy low. Some doubts, of course, remain in my mind about the coaching staff and front office's ability to work through whatever's happening in Montreal. That is the reason to be cautious when you are buying low, but you can expect better for sure than what Duran, Pacioretty, and Weber are doing right now. They will get back on track and be fine for the rest of the season. Maybe not quite as high as your highest hopes had them, but again, certainly better than this. Okay, and then we have Patrick in the chat room asking Clefbaum, buy low. How did you know I was going to bring up Clefbaum next? Yeah, he's also been on a cold streak like all season long. I actually brought him up on the show last week, Brian, and then we somehow forgot to talk about him after I asked the question. But yeah, he's been getting top power play time in good minutes all season long for the Oilers, just like we expected. But he has just one assist, a power play assist, to show for it. Is it time to get worried about Oscar Clefbaum, or do you scoop him up when he's dropped in your league like I did? Yeah, so the answer I'd prepared last week that for whatever reason I didn't share, it sort of is unchanged. It's about how few goals Edmonton had scored. And there have still been precious few goals for Oscar Clefbaum to assist on. Edmonton is ranked only ahead of Montreal in goals scored per game to date. And keep in mind, Clefbaum is not going to be the guy scoring goals. He needs to get assists on other people scoring goals. He still ranks second behind Connor McDavid in shots on goal for the Oilers. And when the goals do come, Clefbaum will be in on enough of them to be worth your while. You have to scoop him up if he's a free agent. Elon, you did it. I did it. Everybody listening should do it too. 
yeah, just hope that he does something before Sekera comes back. Otherwise, maybe all of a sudden his job will be in jeopardy, but we still have to wait a couple months for that. By the way, Kyler Yamamoto had assists in three straight games before going pointless yesterday. But keep in mind, if you're thinking of streaming him, he'll likely get bumped off the McDavid line once Dreisaitl is back. So you'll have to see if his deployment is still worth something. Someone to watch, but I wouldn't jump on him just because of his performance so far. All right, now, Brian, you said you'd get back to us last week on Radko Gudas, who hadn't been hitting or blocking Maybe at this point, we don't need to be so concerned about him now that he has three hits in each of his last two games. Not a ton of blocks, though, aside from a couple games where he put up three and five. So he's been inconsistent with his hits and blocks. Again, I'm talking about Radko Gudas, the guy who last year was like the stud in bangers and mash leagues, the gold standard of bangers and mash defensemen, where you just pick this guy up and he's going to win your matchup a lot of the time because of his hits and blocks, even if he doesn't give you points. And of course, he hasn't been giving us any points this year. He has no points in eight games, 13 shots, which isn't even that many. So he hasn't been consistent, but he's showing us something. Like, what's going on? Like, why is a guy who's been such a reliable hitter every year all of a sudden not doing it this year? People who need hits and blocks, should they be adding him if he's been dropped? Should they hold on if they still have him? I reached out for help on Twitter for this one because I had the week to figure it out. I had some tape to watch, and I still couldn't really tell exactly what was happening differently. And I heard back from Dave Isaac, who is the Flyers beat reporter for USA Today. And uh, the CPSJ, which I'm sure is some journal in Philadelphia. Anyway, uh, and he wrote back, I don't think Gudas is outright not hitting, but he has not abandoned coverage to make hits like he used to. Partly the game getting faster too, uh, which I thought was a pretty good explanation. We also had some theories on maybe he's a little nervous about getting injured. This is a health situation or maybe, yeah, his role has grown beyond just hit everything that moves. He has to play a little more responsibly. And that's what he's doing. We'll see how this trend continues through the year. I have to think the hits are still going to come. Like you said, Elon, six hits in his last two games. Hopefully he can keep up at least a couple per game. That's why we like him so much. Yeah, but maybe if, we'll have to watch. Maybe he becomes a streamer. Like you look at a guy like Michael Delzato, who was in free agency for pretty much everyone all like uh, leading up to the season and probably after most drafts. And he's providing hits, blocks, and also some points lately and some shots. So I feel like I would be dropping Gudas for someone like Delzato, even if Delzato, say, has a slightly less upside for the hits and blocks, but he can help you in the other categories. I don't know if Gudas is like a must hold at this point, but definitely if he's dropped in your league, watch him. And once he starts heating up again, he could be so viable when he's contributing in those categories. All right, Brian, we've got to talk about Mitch Marner. This will be the last cold streak I've got for you before I get to a couple snoozers to end the show. Marner has been bumped to line four with Matt Martin and Dominic Moore. We talked about him on our patron mailbag show, saying he's probably just been sent down to be taught a lesson. Actually, that's exactly why he's been sent down, but he hasn't been brought up to the, his line with JVR and Bozak yet. Maybe it'll happen next week after the Sens beat the lease yesterday and maybe now it's time to shake things up and give Marner his spot back but yeah this has been a disaster for Marner owners who enjoyed four points in his first four games but have gotten nothing from him in his last four games do we expect Marner to get back into a good spot in the roster soon and at least approach his 61 points from last year my preseason take on Mitch Marner was that he would struggle to match last year's point totals let alone exceed them so I'm actually comfortable just sticking with that count on him beating 50 Hope he gets 55. I don't think Mitch Marner's current deployment situation is going to become permanent for him. I trust Mike Babcock to keep him in the right role for most of the season with perhaps some lessons such as this one being taught along the way. And that's why I'm not getting so far down on him, just about as down as I was before the season started. 
Right, that's fair. And of course, right now, the person who's benefiting from Mitch Marner's demotion is Connor Brown, who's been in Marner's spot playing with JVR and Bozak, and he has three points in his last three games. I feel like you've got to ride Connor Brown while he's on that line. But like I said, that could change as soon as the next game. And then one more leaf I'll bring up, Brian, is Morgan Riley, who seems to finally be breaking out this year. He has seven points in eight games so far, finally getting that top power play time that we hoped he would get all these past few seasons. If that keeps up and the team keeps scoring like they have been, it seems like Riley will destroy, like easily destroy his career high of 36 points. Do you have any reason to think that this is not going to happen? Here's the reason why. Well, okay. He's going to break his career high at this pace for sure. But just check yourself on how high his point totals can go. Toronto can't keep scoring the way they are. There will be fewer goals for him to be a part of. Toronto's team, even strength shooting percentage, is tops in the league right now at about 12%. And that is not something that can continue. Last year, Minnesota was able to keep one above 10% for longer than we thought they should have been. So maybe Toronto can do it for a little while, but I would still expect it to drop at least two to three points, if not a little more. So keep that in mind. In the meantime, I am pretty happy to see that Riley is getting in on the goals that are happening and to see him cashing in on top power play billing. Yeah, and I guess Dave in the chat room is making a good point. There's not really a top power play in Toronto. They're more like 50-50, but he's getting consistent power play time with a good unit, which is not something we were able to say about him last year. Okay, Brian, I've got three snoozers. I'm going to throw at you against snoozers to us. This is a keeping Carlson patented term for a player that we think if you still have on your roster, you must not be paying attention. So I want you to let me know if you think I'm wrong about either of these three guys. I think these guys are guys you can drop. I know one of them maybe you'll argue about me with, but not this one. Andre Burakovsky was bumped from the top six yesterday in Washington and played on a line with Brett. Brett Connolly and Lars Eller. He has four points in nine games on the year and he hasn't done anything recently. And now he's off a line with either Kuznetsov or Backstrom. So it doesn't seem to me like he's worth holding. I would drop him, add him to my watch list for if he gets back onto a top six line centered by Kuznetsov or Backstrom. But at this point, I have no interest in Andre Burakovsky in the bottom six. Likewise, yikes is my response to his current situation. It's There still seems to be enough line shuffling happening in Washington to think that Burakovsky is going to get another top six shot before long, but you don't need to hold on to him too tightly while you wait for that to happen. Yeah, and here's the one that I think you might argue with me about, but I think I'm going to bring up Kyle Ocposo here, at least in a shallowish league. He was benched at the end of Friday's game for Buffalo. He played on a line with Molson and Reinhardt yesterday, so not on a line with O'Reilly or on a line with Eichel, so it's not looking good for him in terms of his deployment. He only has one assist in seven games this season. I feel like I'm just not into Kyle Ocposo anymore. I feel like he's a streamer that you could like pick up one of these free agents that we've talked about this week and get more production from them. The trouble with him is the upside is still there. And there's always, every time I'm just about to be done with him, he always does something to make me just hang on for another game. He did better in the game after he got benched. He drew a penalty en route to Buffalo's comeback win uh, late in the third period. So that was that, that's what I'm hanging on to right now. I own him in the cup full, and I plan to own him for at least another, well, I was going to say a couple games, but probably a few games. I think he's good. Uh, I mean, if he, I didn't realize he drew a penalty. Like, if I knew that, I wouldn't have uh, said all of this about him. Like, that's huge. He's probably going to get five goals in the next game. Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. You're right. If I didn't own him, I know I, I would still say to hold on to him. It's the upside. 
Yeah, he's still getting some good power play time. So yeah, he's borderline snoozer for me, but I'm leaning more towards dropping him and picking up someone who's producing. Okay, my last snoozer of the week. If you still have this guy, you're not paying attention. You see Saros. We expected him to have a decent chance to steal starts from Rene, but at this point of the year, I'm not so sure. Rene has been great. He's been he's four one and one with a nine thirty two save percentage. And meanwhile, you see Saros has lost both of the games he's played. He has an eight fifty four save percentage, so he's been brutal. So at this point, there's no reason. For for the Nashville Predators to start giving Saros more starts. If anything, they should give Rene the majority of the starts while he's hot. I feel like if you have UC Saros, just drop him. Look at one of these backups on the teams with injured goalies that we mentioned earlier on the show. You know, keep Saros on your watch list. I'm sure Rene will have his struggles at some point during the year, but at this point, there's like no reason to hold UC Saros. No, there really isn't. His name has really dropped a lot in value. If you haven't been following... He's had a heck of a crash in his numbers. Saros has been a sub-900 goalie over his last 13 appearances. I'm going to say that again. A sub-900 goalie over his last 13 appearances dating back to late January. That is very bad. And it certainly lets off a lot of the heat that Saros had on Rene's job at one point last year. Remember last year, Rene started so strong and then collapsed. And Saros came in and did well and gave a real scare taking over the job. Saros is not in that position where he can give that scare anymore. If Rene does struggle, Peter Laviolette has less reason to go to him to solve the problem than to let Rene play it out. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, Brian, we've talked about a ton of players. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks to everyone for listening to another of our episodes. I have a few more. Oh, okay. Wait, hold the phone. If I started putting in music, take it off. Brian, you got more. Let's just keep going. Let's talk about every player in the league. Okay, just okay, really quickly. Andrew Ladd, just other ads to go. This is ridiculous, actually. Andrew Ladd should not be a possible ad, but he does have points a goal and two assists in three straight games with eight shots on goal. Um, Mark Latestu still doing his power play specialist thing in Edmonton. His two power play goals in his last three games worth a shot if you're chasing special teams points or in a deep league. Kyler Yamamoto, while we're in Edmonton, so many shots from him. He leads the Oilers, the entire team, in shot attempts per 60 minutes and shots per 60 minutes. There's only three games left before the Oilers need to make the call on whether they keep Yamamoto up or they send him off for the year. So worth watching for sure. And if you want to add a big shots on goal boost to your team, he's probably your best bet in free agency with point scoring upside as well. There is also downside that he might not get any shots. It seems to be kind of hot and cold with him still. And finally, Elon, I can't believe we didn't have reason to work in Shane Gostas beer this week. After last year, when no one was sure if he could hold on to the power play, he was benched, whatever, everyone was worried going into this year. Is he the guy? Is he the guy? And we were like, yeah, he's the guy. He's the guy. He has a goal, 10 assists, and 11 points in eight games played. Shane Gostas beer is tied for seventh in NHL scoring amongst everybody, all teams, all positions. And he's tied for first in defensive scoring with Alex Petrangelo, he has seven power play assists, 19 shots on goal, doing very nicely. <laughs> Why'd you say it like that? I don't know. It's not even a pun. It's just, it's just a fun way you say it, I guess. Yeah, thought I'd switch it up. Last word of the show. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're bringing up guys like Andrew Ladd and Mark Latestu, then Dave's requested that you also talk about Tommy Wingles, who had a goal and an assist uh, for Chicago in their last game. Seems to be about a similar guy. Wingles uh, gets a lot of hits. Okay, you're teasing me. 
I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I know, you're saying guys that don't seem that relevant. And also, Brian, I brought up Kyler Yamamoto when we were talking about the Oilers. And I did mention it was great stuff. You said extra stuff. But just remember that dry settles coming back. So that could hurt his deployment, of course. I realized I missed my chance. It was kind of like what happened with Clefbaum last week. I didn't want to let it happen again. Oh, wait a minute. Patrick in the chat room is solving it for me. When you said that Ghost Bear has been... Now I call him Ghost Bear. That's my mix between Ghost Bear and Ghost Bear. Uh, you said that he's been playing noisely. Is that a Philly accent by any chance? It was really just plain old nonsense. But okay. if I can get away with calling it that and it makes it better to you or anyone listening, then yes, that's exactly what I was doing. Perfect. All right. So uh, speaking of nonsense... Hopefully you haven't found this whole show to be nonsense again. Thanks to everyone for listening and sticking with us at the start of the year. You know, by the way, we do this every week. I don't know if this is your first episode. Every Sunday, you can just subscribe to us on iTunes. You get the episode delivered right to you. And when I say iTunes, whatever, whatever podcatching device and app you use, you can subscribe to Keeping Carlson. If you like the show, we definitely appreciate a five-star review on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Like that helps people notice us. You probably don't want to tell the people in your league about our show, but you can at least tell the random strangers on the internet by giving us that five-star review on itunes we'd really appreciate it if you want to actually support the show monetarily why not throw like a beer to brian or i once a month five dollars a month we'd really appreciate it become a patron of the podcast we're gonna give you a ton of perks in return you're gonna get bonus content every thursday we do our patron mailbag show they've been a lot of fun we've been talking about a lot of things that have happened like during the week between monday and thursday sometimes by sunday it's too late for us to give you our advice so Check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You could throw us, like I said, a beer. Brian and I will have to fight over it, decide who gets the beer every month. We'll see, like, maybe who's been the MVP of the podcast each month. Maybe we could get the listeners to vote on who gets the beer between Brian and I. I guess if we were to drink beers for every patron, maybe we'd get a little drunk, but it would be a really fun party. Uh, Brian, with that, I (laughs) guess I've rambled enough. So why don't we cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits. Sure. And by the way, if you want to support us but don't have the beer money available, you can for free leave us an iTunes review. We would really, really appreciate that if you listen all the way through and enjoyed what you got. Are yeah, you going to interrupt that. me to tell me that you already said that? I did say that. Okay. Well, I just really wanted to make the point that it's a thing you can do even from your phone. Please and thank you. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Dylan B, Sean G, Jordan B, Michael G, and Michael S. Thank you very much for your support. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian. You know, like, Tommy Wingles does get a lot of hits when he plays, but he can get healthy scratched a lot, so that's a concern there. But, uh, yeah, great job. We'll be doing this all again next Sunday, so you can join us live, keepingcarlson.com slash live, 7 p.m. And for the patrons, we'll talk to you on Thursday for the Mailbag Show. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs>